Amen. Thank you, Daniel. Appreciate that a great deal. I want to, like I said, remind you again, if there's someone here that you know that's missing, why don't you talk to them this week? Labor Day is always a time when people travel and things like that. And so I want to just encourage us. We're going to be back in 2 Chronicles, looking at seven verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 11 through 16. We're going to look at the second part of this today. And uh, I want to share with you a story a friend of mine uh, talked to me about yesterday. I thought it was kind of interesting. I, uh, he's an evangelist. He told me, he says, would you tell the church this tomorrow? I thought this was kind of apropos to, to us. He said um, he was doing a, a regional kind of crusade down in North Carolina this last week. He said as he was doing that crusade, what happened was, um, he said that the, the last night of it, it was supposed to be out in an arena. It rained. And so he said they put about 1,600 people into a church that hold, held 800. And they were kind of all on top of each other. He said he just felt compelled to walk through the crowd. He said there were kind of sections of the crowd sitting in different places. And he walked through the crowd. He would say to him, he said this. He said, the, the Jesus of Nazareth is passing your way. And this could be the last time. He went to the whole, every section. He said, Jesus of Nazareth is passing your way. Giving you an opportunity for salvation. And this could be the last time. He did it all the way around. And then he got back up on the stage, and he said he just felt compelled. There was a family sitting right in front of him. You can just imagine everybody packed in this church. And he said he looked right at this young lady. She was 16, 17 years old. And he said to her, he said, Jesus of Nazareth is passing your way, and this could be the last time. He um, preached that night. She didn't respond. Her brothers and sisters did. He got a phone call the, the next day. True story. He got a phone call the next day. This happened this last week. And uh, Don told me, he got a phone call from the pastor. And the pastor said, I got tragic news for you. See, that young lady flipped her truck going to church, this, uh, going to school uh, this morning, hit a tree, and it killed her. Jesus of Nazareth is passing our way. And it could be the last time. Guys, I think we need to understand that the purpose of what we are here for is for God's glory in order that he may be exalted, that he may be lifted up in everything we do. God's purpose is not to build a structure, not to fill committees, not to, to make sure everybody's happy and comfortable because Paul was not comfortable, but he was certainly content. It's not about that. It's never been about our convenience. It's about him. Jesus of Nazareth is passing our way. His message of salvation is true. It rings out. And it could be the last time. Second Chronicles We've been talking about prayer in 2 Chronicles 7, 11 through 14. It's the context of this as Solomon has just completed the temple. And as I told you last week, the words that are written here were specifically written to the people of that day, but yet they have eternal principles that which we can pull out of this. And it simply says this in verse 11. It says, so Solomon finished the Lord's temple 
and the royal palace and everything that had entered Solomon's heart to do for the Lord's temple and for his own palace succeeded. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I've heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple of sacrifice. If I close the sky so there is no rain, or if I command the grasshopper to consume the land, or if I send pestilence or allow it upon my people, and my people who call by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from the evil ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. And my eyes will now be open and my ears attentive to the prayers from this place. And I have now chosen and consecrated this temple that my name may be there forever and my eyes and my heart will be there at all times. Listen to what he says. He says, as we consecrated this temple, as this has happened, then my prayers shall be heard. And he says, and not only my, he says, my eyes and my heart. You see, the Bible talks about, you know, his eyes looking into the very presence of who God is inside of him. My eyes, in other words, I'm looking to and fro, that I will always be looking into the hearts of those who are here. In other words, we don't just bring what's left over to God. We bring our whole life and everything that we are before him. My eyes and my heart will be there at all times. In other words, I will always be looking. I will always be seeking to draw you closer. And my heart shall rest upon his people. That is, the heart of God should be lived through the heart of his people. Last week, I talked to you about the personal requirements of God's people. It's the next slide. And here was what we talked about. The first part he says, he said, you need to understand our heritage. I told you that last week. He uses the phrase, if my people. We need to understand our heritage from God that he has created us in in his image. If my people. Number two, that we need to understand our our identity. That we're called by his name. We're called Christians. That he stamped his name upon us. Look at at Exodus chapter 3. When Moses called forth and asked For God to confirm that he could deliver the children of Israel out of bondage in Egypt, he stamped it with his name. And number three, that we need to understand godly repentance. He uses four phrases. He says we need to humble ourselves. We need to pray. We need to seek his face. And we need to turn from our evil ways. That we need to, as his people... Be willing to lay ourselves down and humble ourselves and stop looking at what's best for us and start looking at what's best for him. To look at this world and what we do in the eyes of Christ. To stop this this, this silliness that we do in church of trying to make everyone happy. Listen, this is supposed to be a place of conviction. This is supposed to be a place of challenge. This is supposed to be a place of which we become closer to God. And it's not easy sometimes. Nobody likes conviction. Nobody likes it when God takes his scalpel and begins to cut on us. Nobody likes to be told that we might be wrong in our ideas and concepts of what we do and that they conflict what Scripture teaches. Nobody does. In our culture, though, everybody wants to be right. We're taught that it doesn't matter what we believe. It doesn't matter what we say because your truth is no better than my truth. And I'm telling you right now, this is the truth. And we need to stand upon what this truth is. We need to stand upon what this truth is. He says that we need to repent. That is, humble ourselves. 
pray, to seek his face, to turn, to turn away from these things. Stop dabbling in, in what we do, but turn back to him. Last week we talked about that, that that is our truth. That's who we are. But the next part of this is how did God respond? God's response of blessing. He says, if we're willing to do that, what will God do? If we're willing to do that, what will God do? Well, first of all, the next part of this is God's response of blessing is that God will communicate with his people. I will hear from heaven, he says. I will hear from heaven. God will communicate with his people. I will hear from heaven. He will hear. In other words, the heavenly father will communicate with us. I tell my students this all the time. The difference between Christianity is that we have a personal God who's always intertwined himself in the lives of his people. Look through the whole Testament. Look what he did. He met Moses at the burning bush. He was always there in the battles. He showed himself in the cloud and the fire and all that it was. In the New Testament, it is what? It is Christ in us, the hope of glory. He is a personal God. Come on, how many of us think our nation needs to hear from heaven? How many of us think we need to hear from heaven? Guys, we need to understand God's response of blessing is that he, God will communicate with his people as he hears from heaven. So how do we do that? How do we hear from heaven? Let me give you several ways. Number one, from his word, from the Bible itself. Guys, statistics show that, that so few of God's people read their Bible even on a yearly basis at all. I mean, we don't know what we believe. We don't understand what the meanings of this are. Do you know what happens to us when we don't have a basis of authority that's built on Scripture? Then we begin to compromise and rationalize the beliefs of truth. Romans says this. Romans says, says that there's going to come a day when more people are going to want their t- ears tickled. And he says they're not only going to commit the sin, they're going to support the ones who promote the sin. Because why? Because we have no basis of authority. I want to challenge you to do something with me. I want to challenge you to read your word. I'm going to challenge you to start today. September what? What's today? September what? Fourth. I'm going to challenge you to go back home today. Pick up your Bible and go to first off to Proverbs every morning. Today go to Proverbs 4. There's 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. If, use it by day so that you won't forget. Tomorrow go to Proverbs 5. I'm going to ask you to take out a sheet of paper or do what I do, which is I have the notes on my, my iPhone, and I just use my iPhone, and I, I wrote the night notes out. What is God teaching you? Read that passage of Scripture every morning and write down, just type out or write on a piece of paper two or three things that God is teaching you out of that passage. And then at night, here's what I'm going to challenge you to do for the next couple months. I'm going to challenge you to get in the book of John. Most theological of all the, the Gospels. Go to the book of John. Start tonight in John chapter 1. At night before you go to bed, find a place. Get off Facebook. Get off Facebook, okay? Stop it. I don't know what happened here. I don't know who would be calling me in the middle of church. <sighs> I'm sorry. I forgot to turn my phone off. <laughs> Maybe it was God. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. I apologize. <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm glad because if my students were all here, they would tell you, Dr. Wheeler, your phone's supposed to be away. Because I tell them that all the time. So they, I kick them out of class. Maybe you ought to kick me out of church. I don't know. 
Let's go back to this. I want to challenge you to go starting tonight with John chapter 4. Go to John chapter 4. And I want you to do this. I'm in John chapter 1. I want you to go to John chapter 1 and do the same thing. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. I want you to ponder that for a moment. Don't just go, I don't know what that means. Go back and read it again. You know what it means? It means that we have a personal God, that the Word of God is not just a what written down on pages. The Word of God is a who that wants to live inside of us. That makes it different. But how can we know what we believe if we don't stay in the Word? What we end up doing is letting, letting we, we base our authority upon what the world teaches, not upon what God teaches. So I'm challenging you for this next month. I'm just asking you with me. If you have to, if you have to listen to it, to go through it, if you have something like that, whatever you have to do, start tonight with Proverbs chapter 4. I'm start this afternoon. Start tonight with John chapter 1. And I promise, I ask you as couples to do this. Don't go to each other and say, don't talk to each other about it until both of you have read it and you know what God's teaching you and then tell each other what God says. You'll be surprised the different perspectives that God will give to each one of you. And then base that and challenge that upon what the world's teaching. What's happening through the world? So first and foremost, if we're going to understand God's blessing, we have to understand his word. Bring up the second one. How do we hear from him? We hear from him in prayer. We've been talking about prayer for the last three or four weeks. When you end your Bible study time, before you read your Bible, before you read your Bible, always ask God, God, would you reveal to me truth in your word? Reveal to me truth in your word. Show me what it is you want me to be. What do you want me to learn? And reveal to me truth in your word. Okay? Ask him to do that. And then when you close out the Bible study, pray back to him. Here's what I'd like to ask you to do too. Ever so often, you, there'll be scripture that you'll read. Pray, pr- put that scripture back in your prayer and pray it back over them. You know one of the greatest things I ever did for my kids? I took the Psalms and at night I would pray them over my children. And when it would talk, it would use personal pronouns, I would put my daughter's names in there. And I'd say, oh, Dana, who's, who's like a tree planted on the, side, the water, you know, Dana is going to, and do you know what was so funny? When my daughters got old enough to start leading Bible studies with other people, you know, like their softball teams and things like that, my daughters would start using the passages first and foremost that I personalized for them. Pray that over your kids. Stop for a moment and just claim that. Just put their name in there because do we not have a personal God, yes or no? Can we not put ourselves in Scripture and claim the truth of Scripture from that, yes or no? So pray that over them. Spend time in the Word. And remember this. Remember, it's not the length of your prayer. It's the breadth of your prayer. Because I'm ADD. I don't do anything more than 10 minutes at a time. It's the truth. When I teach classes, I teach like a, I teach, my students will tell you, I teach like it's a, a, it's, it's a sitcom. I teach 10 minutes, and then I crack jokes. And I teach 10 minutes, and I talk about something else. Because I'm ADD, I go all over the place. Sometimes when I pray, I may pray 10 minutes Sometimes when I do, God may call my spirit and I pray much longer. Don't judge yourself based upon how long you pray. But just remember this. Remember this truth. Prayer is never meant, prayer is never meant to be selfish. God is not Santa Claus. He's not there just to meet our needs. The point of prayer is not to change God. The point of prayer is to change us. So as you read the word, let God take his word and cut on us. And then 
then immediately turn around and just take a few moments and go, God, you know, you just revealed to me. Thank you that you're a personal God, that you came flesh and dwelt among us. Thank you that you live inside of us. Thank you in the middle of the chaos of this whole world, we have a constant that we know is true, and that is you. And we claim that truth is you. How do we also know? Bring up the next one. By circumstances. God speaks through circumstances. He speaks through circumstances, doesn't he? He speaks through things that we go through. When Debbie got sick, do you know what? Man, that was a huge circumstance in our life that brought us to a reality that Debbie and I both needed, had to, that I particularly needed to understand. You know, God used that to break my heart and humble me and, and, and bring me to a new place. He used that to, and he used that to confirm scriptural truths, but he used the circumstances to do that. Which, by the way, let me share something with you, too, as well. You'll love this. Guys, the first time my wife was ever, ever um, in remission from her disease, it's not cancer, as you know, it's autoimmune disease, it was four years ago, and she called me one June. She had just taken a month full of what's called rituxan, and the, they waited about a month after that, and she calls me, and she says to me for the first time, she's crying over the phone, she, the doctor just told her, she said, David, she said, the doctor says I'm in remission. Well, Debbie's been in remission, out of remission for the last four years. Normally, every year, she's had to take another series. She's had all kinds of issues with this, and we still don't know what's going on with the blood. But she found out this last week that even that this year, it looks like everything's, according to her last blood, blood test, that her disease level is still in remission. Isn't that cool? Praise the Lord for that. She's still in a lot of pain. She's still going through some stuff, but she's still there. It serves as a constant reminder to us. Everything serves, there's circumstances we go through. There are, there are cancer survivors in this church. Any cancer survivors in this church? Anybody? Anybody that's been a cancer survivor, had cancer, anything like that? Yes. Are you different now than you were before you found out you had cancer? I mean, it changes you, doesn't it? It changes your perspective. It makes life different. You begin to look at things that you used to pass over. Now you, you, you go, wow, those flowers are beautiful. It's kind of like when, you know, when, when you have little kids. You ever, you, ever, you ever notice this when you have little kids? We tend to walk in a world that's up here, and they tend to walk in a world that's down here. And they, they remind you of stuff that's on the floor, don't they? We were at Mervyn's one night, and we were in Texas, and, and Dana was over there, and I'm looking around, and Debbie's shopping, and I'm trying to keep Dana from pulling down every rack there was, and next thing you know, she, a, a cricket pops out in front of her, and it, it jumps up, and so I would have never noticed it, but my daughter's chasing this cricket around the store. Everybody started watching her chase the cricket around the store and everything, and she's, and she's jumping with it, and next thing you know, she jumps, and it doesn't jump, and she lands on it. So she can't figure it out as an 18-month-old kid Wow, that cricket's not jumping anymore. So she starts picking it up and throwing it. <laughs> the point is, she reminds, it reminds us, circumstances remind us of the simplest of things of life that reflect the scripture and the power of God that's manifested through our daily lives, right? Bring the last one up. God also speaks through other believers. God speaks through other people that see things in us. You see, we don't want to put ourselves in authority under anybody else because we think that's just, they're just picking their nose in our business, <laughs> you know, putting their nose, not picking it. 
Yeah, but, but the point is, is that why does other people can also speak into our lives? And they see things. They can encourage us. They can tell us things. We need to be sensitive to that and put ourselves in accountability into groups where other people can speak into our lives. We will hear from heaven. God speaks through his word. He speaks through prayer. He speaks through circumstances. All through scripture, he spoke through circumstances. He brought storms and floods and all kinds of stuff that he allowed to do, that humbled the people and brought them back to himself. And then he always spoke through other people. Look, look at Aaron and her over and over again. God spoke through, 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 through you know, Aaron and her to Moses over and over again if you look back in scripture. There's always other believers that spoke. Look at, look, at, look at what happened with Paul and Mark. Mark was not mature enough yet. Paul sent him back, but yet he came back, Paul and Timothy. Look, all through Scripture, there are places in, that we need to. We always need to look at the other believers. And we need, what that says is we need to live in community with others and love each other enough that we care to speak the truth with each other to help each other grow. Secondly, what does the Scripture say? First of all, God communicates with his people. I will hear from them. Next, he says, God will consecrate his people and forgive their sin. He will consecrate. What is God going to do for us if we do? He's going to consecrate. In other words, he's going to draw us back. He's going to pull us into relationship. He wants to make us right is what he's saying. He will forgive their sin. Do we need forgiveness of sin? Yes or no? Amen, right? We need forgiveness of sin. Turn to your neighbor and say, we need forgiveness of sin. Absolutely, we need forgiveness of sin. So how do we get that forgiveness of sin? Bring it up real quick. What do we do? First of all, we need to be in agreement with God about our sin. We need to be in agreement with God about our sin. You see, if we're, if we're not in agreement with God about our sin, we will always deny our sin. See, nobody talks about sin anymore. But it is sin that brings death. That's what the scripture says. So come on, guys, look at me. Don't, don't phase off into another world. Listen to this carefully. This is what he does. Sin is what destroys us. We have to be in agreement with God about our sin. How, how much agreement, how did God feel about us? I tell you how much he felt. He sent his son Jesus to die for our sin. Because he knows sin equals death. What did he do? He took our sin to the grave because he never sinned. He resurrected. That means he overcame death. And that's why he can say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We need to be in agreement with God about our sin. Come on, guys. We rationalize our sin. We compare ourselves to other people. Well, I'm just as good as so-and-so. I'm just as good as this person. And, and our sin is what's destroying us. You remember me preaching a few weeks ago from, from, from Joshua chapter 7. Moses was, I mean, uh, you got Joshua was on his, on his face before God, and they put sackcloth and ashes on him. What did God say? He said, get up, Joshua. Get up. There's sin in the camp. We have to be in agreement with God about our sin. Number two, look at this. We need to surrender to God in honest repentance. If you, want, if you don't know how to do that, look up further where it talks about Seek his face. Pray, humble ourselves. Those are the steps of repentance. In other words, turning away from our sin. We need to surrender to God. Once we acknowledge that sin, turn away from it. It will destroy you. I've got a close friend right now that, 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 that several years ago in his marriage, it wasn't going well, and there was dysfunction and all this kind of stuff. And he, he turned around and started, started uh, 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 having little short blips of affairs by hiring prostitutes. He hid it for years and years and years. And finally, he was found out. It's destroyed him. He's lost his family. He's lost his ministry. He's lost his life. 
His kids won't speak to him. He's living with his mom and dad, and he's 55 years old. Don't have a job. Lost it all. You see, that sin that we like so much, Satan's not going to tell you what the end result of that's going to be. He don't write on the beginning of it. Say, hey, if you start down this path, you're going to lose this and this and this, because you'd never start down that path if you knew you were going to lose those things. Would you? Come on. How many of us have done something and later on we regretted it? We have felt the sting and the pain of sin. We have to turn. Bring the next one up. We have to trust God's power to forgive your sin. That if we have a forgiving God, we need forgiveness. Trust God's power to forgive us. He said he will forgive our sin. And finally, bring the last one up. Follow him as Lord and stop playing games. Listen, as a church, we need, we, need to, we need to follow him as Lord. What does that mean? That means master. That means he is who we seek. He is who we obey. We don't put our opinion into this. Guys, I've been in ministry 35 years. I've heard people stand up at business meetings and go, well, you know me, I'm just going to speak my mind. And you know what? Normally what that means, that means they're about to offend everybody there and take everybody off and all this kind of stuff. And that should never be. I've always suggested that if someone's going to stand up and speak at a business meeting, they should have to quote a passage of Scripture before they stand up and speak. And if, it don't, if they can't rationalize the Scripture through the truth of, the God, of God's Word about what they want to say, they should stay down and hush. And they go, that's not Baptist. <laughs> yes, it is. We're people of the Bible. That's the basis of who we are. I'm not just talking about that. I'm talking about all that we do. We play games. We rationalize that we're not really so bad. Guys, you're looking at a spiritual scumbag. I was lost, totally separated, depraved, with no hope and no help. Read Revelation 5. None. It is only by the grace of God that he will look across all of that And say, David, I will forgive you if you're willing to be forgiven. And if you will turn and repent and follow me and stop this madness. Guys, the reason why we're miserable is because we're trying to live two or three different lives. It's because we've got sickness in us that needs to be gotten rid of, and it can be through the forgiveness of God. That's what he does. He purifies us. Guys, we're not going to go to heaven because we're good people. We will go to heaven because he's a great God. This is God's church. This is God's work. That's what he was trying to remind Solomon. He's saying, this is my temple, Solomon. You built it, but it was for my glory. Solomon, this is not your temple. I will show up. I will look and seek, and and I will be there, and my heart will be there. I will be watching, and I will receive the prayers that come from that place, but not because of anything you did, but because that's who I am. Only because Solomon had the right heart would he receive it. Finally, there's a third thing. God will complete his promise. Don't you love that? He said, and he will heal your land. What does heal mean? Heal means, heal is the end of consecrate. It means literally this, that God will remove the disease. 
And you know what's so interesting? When he removes the disease, he doesn't leave a scar. God can do surgery on us without leaving the scars because God can forgive us of our past, our present. He can. You see, we need healing in our land, don't we? The reason why heroin is growing the way it is is because people feel guilty and are looking for ways to escape, and heroin's growing at astronomical rates. It is. I'm, I'm here with people all the time. I was a professor at LU. His son was a good friend of mine, and he, he OD'd not long ago. I've seen this over and over and over again. It's growing in our culture. Alcoholism is growing in our culture. When you look around, why? Why? Because people are trying to medicate themselves. And God is saying, I will heal your land. Do we need healing? Yes or no? If we're carrying bitterness and anger against someone else, we need healing in that relationship. If we as a church are not unified as one people, God is not a passive-aggressive God. God does not say one thing here and something else here. God wants us to be unified. He says, I will heal you if you're willing to do this. Because look at me, the worst thing we could happen is for God to say, okay, you refuse to follow. I'm going to withdraw my presence. And look what happens. I've seen it happen over and over again. Because my prayer for us as Rocky Mountain Baptist Church is that we would receive what healing we need, that we would welcome the Holy Spirit to come in here, that we would, we would, we would judge God's presence as greater than our preferences, that before we even speak, we would seek God's wisdom and, and His permission to say anything that we do, that our hearts and our lives and our mouths and our very beings would be so connected to God that we will be conduits of who he is. That we would be able to lift up our brothers and sisters and, and grab hold of them and love them and care for them because they deserve it. That we would be a place of healing. That we would be that. Old and young. Do you know one of the greatest things I ever did at my, my youth ministry, my youth church, my last church, is we had about 80 youth in the church, and they came back from a conference, and I brought them in front of the church, and I had our senior adults all connected with each one of them. And do you know what was so cool? The senior adults were able to teach those youth wisdom, and the youth were able to learn and, and give just vibrancy to our senior adults. And every Sunday, it was so cool to see them sit with each other and find each other and hug each other and love each other, you know, and, and, and do that. And, and, and that's what should happen in a church because we're all old and young. But, we're, but this is a beautiful thing. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, if I'm going to consecrate this temple, it really goes back to what the people in that temple do. If they follow me, then I will heal their land. And I will make them a spiritual hospital. And I will welcome and bring people to them that need healing. And I will bring healing to their people. And I will bring power. And I will, I will bring this presence to them like they've never had. Because that's what this is all about. So what do we learn from this? 
What do we learn? Number one, God wants to know his people. I'll say it again, that word know, scripture. In the Old Testament, it's, the way it's written in the Hebrew, it means to consecrate a marriage. In the New Testament, it is, it, it is in a totally different form, a Greek form. And it literally, and, 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 and it's talking about relationship with God. And it's using the deepest of, of, rate, of references. And it's saying literally that God wants a, a deep, intimate relationship with us. He doesn't want us just to know about him. He wants us to know him. He wants us to seek him. If we're making decisions separate from him, we're always going to make the wrong decisions and run down the wrong paths. God wants to know his people. Number two, God wants his people to know him. He wants his people to know him. Is that, come on, isn't that, isn't that obvious here that God wants his people to know him? See, I think it's a fair question to ask. Does God know you, but do you know him? If you're not in his word and you're not praying, you're not seeking his face, how can you know him? Come on, right now, let's, I'm going to ask you a question. Just think about this for a moment. How many of you have been married 40 years or more? Anybody been married 40 years or more? Okay. Let me ask you a question. If we spend, I know what makes great marriage. I'm, I, you know, I've, I'm, we've been married 33 years. Debbie and I try to always spend time with each other. We call each other. We text each other all the time. All this kind of stuff, we do that. But let me ask this question. If you spent as much time with your spouse as you do in the Word, how healthy would your marriage be? If you spend as much time with your spouse as you do in prayer, how, how healthy would your marriage be? You cannot know God without seeking Him. We've got to get in the Word and we've got to pray. You know, there's a reason why the New Testament refers to us as the bride of Christ, because it's talking about us as His body in an intimate way. That is, and he uses references to marriage because there's so many correlations to what God wants to us and what happens in a healthy marriage. If you don't spend time with each other, you don't communicate, if you don't talk with each other, all those things, right? You have to do that, right? In a healthy marriage, yes or no? In a healthy relationship with our Father is the same truth. He wants to know us, and He wants us to know Him. Number three, the callous and continual practice of sin that produces an unrepentant heart are the human barriers that keep us this from happening. A callous, the continual callous and unrepentant heart. Is that you? Does God keep saying yes and you keep saying no? Do you feel the conviction of the Spirit of God wanting to change your heart and soften it to grow and be more like Him and stop playing religion but really know Him and you keep saying no? Is God calling you to a deeper level of intimacy with Him to where he will reveal and show you things that you've never imagined, that you can really understand the fullness of love. Guys, I, a friend of mine told me when I married Debbie, he said, you will love her more after 10 years than you did the first year. You will love her more after 20 than you did at 10. You'll love her more after 30. And you know what? He's right. I hope I'm not being too intimate here, but 
I love and desire my wife more today than I ever have. Why? Because over time, if you let God, if, if you keep a callous heart and you build up bitterness, it destroys a marriage, right? That's why you have to communicate and walk through. It's the same thing with God. If we continue, God continues to say yes and we continue to say no, it destroys the intimacy we have with God. Bring the next one up. Ultimately, God wants his name to be exalted among the nations. And yes, for that, for us, that begins in the Rocky Mount community. How can we exalt him among the nations if it doesn't start right here? And how can that happen unless God's people are intimately engaged with God on a daily basis and understand the message of God and you have to speak it? People ask me all the time, how do you preach? Look, I can't help but preach. Read what Jeremiah says. He says, I wanted to shut up. I wanted to stop and I could not because it burned in me. What burns in you? Bring up the final one. You see, God is waiting. He's inviting us to join him in this great adventure. The bottom line question is, what will we do? He's consecrated this place. He's consecrated our hearts. He's speaking to us over the generations and saying, I want relationship with you. I want, I want to hear the prayers of the people in this place. I want my eyes to go to and fro. I want my heart to be rest in this place and in you. And I want to know you, and I want you to know me. And I'm offering you all of this if you will simply just say yes and surrender. That's what he's saying to every one of us. And I will heal your land. I will heal your heart. I will heal your family. I will heal your life. Because that's who he is. He's a healing God. Look at me, please. If I could grab hold of every one of you today and just beg you, as we go through this invitation time, what is God saying to you? What is he speaking to you? Is there someone here who's never been baptized, but God is calling you to be baptized? It's time you surrender. Is there someone here that God is calling you to join this church, or God's calling you to know him in personal relationship and you've been saying no for a long time, or maybe, or I'll wait till later. But it's time today that you finally say yes. Look at me. Maybe God's speaking to us, his people, and he's saying, I want you to go deeper. I'm calling you deeper. I'm calling you to the deep wells of the coldest and most fresh spiritual water I can possibly give you. Stop settling for anything else other than what I want to give you desire me he's saying desire our father do we desire him are we desperate for him do we want that how are we going to respond to his call would you bow your heads please I'm going to ask you this morning to just be honest before God don't let anything distract you don't let anything pull your mind to another place. Don't let anything you're going to do this afternoon, you know, bring you to that place where you can't think about. What is God saying to you today? What is he saying to us as his people? What is he speaking to us? Is he calling us deeper? 
is he calling us? Can he break the chains of our lives? He can and he will, but we must repent. Young people, I beg you, I know you live in a generation. I see it every day. I teach thousands of 18, 19-year-olds. I know the challenges you face. You need the support of this church body to hold your arms up. Is God calling you to go back to your friends to be holy and righteous before him? Is he calling you into a deeper relationship? Church member, is God calling you? Is God calling you to go deeper? Is he saying, I want to make this place a place of prayer? First, we must be willing to pray. Prayer is the ultimate step of humility. Because what it says is, God, I can't do it myself. I am not so self-sufficient, but you are God-sufficient. Because you are God. You are sufficient, God. You can do it. But we have to agree with God about our sin. We have to be willing to let God cleanse us. Some of us have held on to these things for years. And God is begging us to let go. That he may purify our souls and draw us into those deep, fresh waters. Are you willing to come today and say yes to him? My prayer is that God would break down the barriers that we feel and sense. That he would call our church out and bring us to our faces before him in repentance and prayer. We would say, God, whatever you desire, that's what I will do. Soften my callous heart. Break my spirit for what breaks your heart. Father, move among me, among us. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray this morning that as we stand here in a moment, we won't stand as we have for some of us for 30, 40 years to just listen to a song and somehow begin to think that this is just what we do every week. We come and we listen to a sermon and we listen to a song and we leave. No, today, God, I pray you will wreck our lives, not in a bad way, but in a good way. That you will touch us and you will break us and you will call us. That you want to make this place a place of prayer where you can rest within our hearts that we, you can look to and fro and draw us to yourself, that your heart would rest upon us and your Holy Spirit would live through us, that we would seek you more than anything else. Oh, God, please, this morning, bring us to our faces and change us, God, for your glory right now, God. Please, we, you would break the chains that bind us and move among us this morning, the young and the old, to bring us together, Father, please. Father, that your Holy Spirit would move. We would become a people of prayer, a people of brokenness, a people of humility. Jesus, draw us out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and we're going to sing. You come right now. Come on. Come on. As God calls us out this morning, you come. If God is speaking to your heart and saying it is time that we get fully right with you, would you come this morning, right now? Come on. Come on.